When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. We're doing one of my favorite things today. We have an interview for you guys. We're going to be talking to, we're going to try to talk to all four of the newcomers to the Big 12. We're starting with U of H as someone who lives in Houston, a team I'm more familiar with than others. And for tech fans everywhere, it's a team you guys are a lot more familiar with considering our recent history. Um, we're, we have Sam here from the Scott and Holman podcast. They are one of the best U of H's podcasts, pretty much I think the largest outside of maybe one of the paid sites. So it is a great podcast. You guys haven't checked it out. They cover U of H better than anybody I've seen. It's a great time, great guys to listen to, and they had a lot of fun. Um, we're going to talk about the past a little bit because tech fans are familiar with it, but we're going to do it in the context of looking to now that U of H is coming to the Big 12 from how is the roster different. So for tech fans who may have short memories that listen to this show, the last time these two teams met was an early season show. Tech would win a narrow overtime contest. This was as close of a game as you can possibly imagine. Tech would take a pretty sizable lead in this game and then kind of cough it up in the second half. It, a late desperation drive would push this game in overtime and Tech would secure the victory in this game for the Red Raiders. Donovan Smith was your quarterback. He, of course, is now headed to U of H. And interesting left Quentin Tune was the U of H starting quarterback who has now graduated. So it's going to be neither team will be playing the same quarterback and a little bit of a changing of the guard a bit for both teams at that position. Tyler Shuck, of course, was hurt in Tech's opener and was out for most of the year. So let's talk about, let's start with that quarterback spot because Donovan Smith is a guy at Texas Tech is fans are very familiar with. Um, he would play sporadically throughout his career, had a couple of wins, U of H in Texas this season, probably being the one, the two wins people remember the most. How are folks around U of H feeling about Donovan? Is he, I, I, I don't, haven't seen officially that he's been named the starter. Is he presumed to be the starter? Um, and what's the expectation for him? I would say presumed to be the starter, Donovan Smith, uh, but it definitely wasn't sell out of camp. And I will say there's historical precedent for Dana Holgerson naming a quarterback pretty emphatically out of camp. Clayton Toon, uh, pre-pandemic, obviously, I think U of H had a really early spring spring ball in 2020, and Clayton Toon put, I, I think, anything to doubt that he was the quarterback of the future at that point, and it didn't seem settled at that point. So I think if Smith had won the job outright in spring ball, I, I don't think Dana would have just hesitated to say, hey, this is the starting quarterback going to fall. I do think there is something still left to compete for there, but I would say probably 65-35-70-30 that it'll be Donovan Smith getting the uh, starters reps week one for the Cougs against UTSA. And I would say Cougs fans are reasonably excited. I, I think the level of optimism outside of a few individuals and maybe a unit or two is pretty low from the Cougar fan base towards this football program. But uh, I think I, I think Donovan Smith kind of fit the bill of what Cougar fans wanted. And I think there's some hope for Lucas Coley, who's the I think the only other guy who's a realistic candidate to win the quarterback job outside of Smith, uh, I think the problem was, and he clearly was doing this stuff off the field well, he did not start the years as the backup, and by middle of the season was very clearly the Cougars' number two, but last year's U of H team, among many other problems, just did not blow anyone out. Good teams, and even bad teams, just nobody the Cougars just put away, or except for, I think, randomly enough, ECU, uh, second to last week of the regular season, so... 
Coley didn't get a chance to get a lot of reps because the game was close to some degree for a large chunk of the season. But a guy, a guy with I think very toolsy. I think it's more of a baseball term, but a guy with a big arm. And I know the staff likes that a lot. But I would say Smith's the favorite, and I think checks a lot of the boxes that Cougar fans are looking for from an upperclassman ish. I know he's technically. I got it. COVID makes the eligibility so squirrely. I know he had the redshirt year uh, when he first came on. It doesn't count. So I'm not sure exactly where he's eligibility wise, but I think he checked a lot of boxes with the Cougar fans wanted for an experienced division one quarterback coming in. And I would say it's definitely the presumptive favorite to be uh, the Cougar starting quarterback. Yeah, and, and Tech fans are familiar with a lot of what Donovan Smith can and can't do. It, it is one thing we, we saw, one of the reasons he, a lot of people thought he would hold the starting job outright. Um, he would get injured against Oklahoma State. A little uncertain, I believe the injury was said to have happened against Texas, is when they the staff had came back and said, hey, he... He banged up, I believe it was his shoulder, and he was trying to play through it. And against Oklahoma State, actually right before the game is when word leaks that Baron Morton will be starting. And then Baron Morton clearly muscles out Donovan Smith, and you, you just don't ever really see him again. He comes in as a package quarterback. Tech fans are familiar with him. He The accuracy issues, but the arm's there. But the thing that strikes me the most about him and the thing that he adds a dimension to the offense that was not present without him is he is a one. He's physically very large. He's a big kid. Um, you know, he checks in he like a large running back. That's that's with a little bit more height. And he's also very athletic, very fast. He's a true dual threat quarterback. Dana Holgerson doesn't exactly have a huge history working with these kinds of guys. He has some. Um, he's had guys who are more athletic than others. His offense just hasn't highlighted it. Are you expecting more of a turn if Donovan Smith is the starter? Are you expecting more of a true quarterback run game worked in? I know with Clayton Toon, it was more kind of, it was there, but it wasn't a highlight of the offense. What are you expecting to see different if it is Donovan at the at the helm? I would actually say if he didn't have the injury issues that he had over his career, that, that Clayton Toon is actually a very exciting runner. There, there was actually... I think the biggest injury that hampered him two seasons ago was one he suffered in the uh, 2021 opener uh, against the Red Raiders on on a pretty pretty good run. He tweaked something and then exacerbated it the next week against Rice. So they definitely, the staff, showed an interest in running Clayton Toon, who was a, a pretty decent runner in his own right. And I think, I think a bit speedier than Donovan Smith, but I don't think nearly as effective in a short yardage kind of package situation like I, I think last year's Red Raider offense used him in uh, at times, certainly once uh, Morton and Shuck took over that job. So I'm actually kind of intrigued about that. That's, I think, the aspect of it. I mean, obviously, Daniel Holgerson has a reputation for passing offense, and that's that's still earned. But he's definitely, I think, almost sometimes to the detriment. I, I think if you ask Cougar fans what the 2022 team did wrong offensively, it was just not realized early enough that it was only equipped to be a throw the ball 40, 50 times a game kind of team. I think U of H realized three scores down late against Memphis that, hey, we just do not have the personnel to really run the ball 50, 50 effectively. And they just went past first and overcame a huge deficit to beat Memphis uh, at the Liberty Bowl for the last time those teams will probably ever meet. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what he does with maybe a bigger, more between the tackles kind of runner like Smith at quarterback, even acknowledging that I don't think it's going to be a, Houston Cougars running the uh, the old school veer or you know running Donovan Smith 25 30 times a game but that's actually something about the offense I'm going to be interested in seeing once the uh, once the games become live in September now having um, it's it's kind of hard to replace 
Um, the guys surrounding quarterback, right? I mean, you guys a pretty solid line or a pretty salty line this year. But as far as position players, how are you guys planning on replacing Nathaniel um production from last yeah, I don't think you can easily replace uh, what what Tank Dell does. He he was just he was really effective. He was here for three seasons, and obviously the COVID season is kind of a weird data point. But it became clear by the end of that season that he was U of H's top target. Even even as a top target, was still quite effective being the number one guy. I, I think maybe the most frustrating thing about last season is that Tank Dell and Clayton Tune really finally started to put, you know, put together truly what we had seen and in Toon's case in flashes, truly Dell two years ago was quite good. I, I don't think he was anything other than, I, I think, a proven commodity going into last season, but it felt like kind of a waste of two guys who were among the better skill players this program has seen recently. But I, I know this fan base is very excited about Matthew Golden, who was, I think, one of the first, I guess you could say, Big 12 recruits for this program, the, the kind of guy that, and U of H has gotten some great receivers that have come through. U of H has gotten some really well, well scouted guys, but you weren't getting like, you know, well into the four star Houston area kids. Those kids would, you know, maybe give, give U of H, you know, an eye or two and then go to a big 12 or sec or PAC 12 program. And uh, seeing Matthew golden two recruiting cycles ago now commit to the Cougars is kind of like, okay, like this, these are I guess the kind of recruits you're going to see U of H now competing for being able to now sell the big 12 conference versus the American. And before that conference, you say, so Matthew golden, I think that's the number one answer there, even acknowledging that you're not going to replace tank Dell easily, but I would also throw in there, Sam Brown, who's effective uh, last season, uh, Joseph Manjack, who missed a good chunk of the year, but I think had the ESPN number one play week one against UTSA last year, a guy who, if you could say healthy the whole year, it will be a nice big, sure-handed kind of contrast to the speedier Matthew Golden. And I think some guys from the portal have been pretty exciting at wide receiver. I think I would highlight two of them, Joshua Cobbs from Wyoming, who put up some pretty solid numbers in what was just genuinely one of the worst passing offenses in college football. I think argue probably the worst non-service academy passing offense in college football in Wyoming. And also Stephon Johnson, who was a true freshman last year at Oklahoma State, didn't put up a whole lot of numbers, but uh, really flashed at times some promising stuff and with Oklahoma state losing, I think seemingly their entire receiver room, uh, he was someone they definitely wanted to hold on to. So it was nice to see the Cougars get someone who was clearly still very much welcome in that program. So I would say those two guys, are the newcomers I'm most excited about, but Matthew golden and uh, Stefan Johnson, Joshua Cobbs and Joseph Manjack and Sam Brown, I think, I think might take some games to get to the level that last year's group was by the end of the season. But I, I think is one of the position groups that, you're going to see the most optimism about from Cougar fans. Speaking of production, Tech fans and U of H fans will both remember this game was weird for any number of reasons this previous year. But one of the things is Tech struggled as an offensive unit, as an offensive line unit all year. They did. But the game that was pretty much the single most painful to watch, Derek Parrish would have four and a half sacks and uh, uh, Jemery Caldwell would have another 1.5 and so on. So, you know, you gave up six sacks in that game to U of H. Derek Parrish, of course, has now left. He was the most effective pass rusher on that unit, drafted by the Jaguars. Really great player, very high motor player. How is the defensive line shaping up without him? Who can step into that role? Tech, on their own end, has lost Tyree Wilson. Therefore, we're pretty familiar with trying to fill up with an NFL guy on our side as well. 
yeah, Derek Parrott, that was a huge loss last season. I think you were already seeing cracks in the foundation with the defense the the week after the Texas Tech game. Uh, Kansas just really made the Cougar defense look silly for the better part of four quarters. But Parrish, I think, tearing up bicep against Rice the week after that really was just, I think, just cascading problems with that defense and truly just prevented any chance of that being an even remotely effective unit um losing him also losing DeAnthony Jones didn't have the senior season many people expected but I think over the course of his three years at U of H was an effective pass rusher is, is going into camp uh as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago Bears so replacing those two guys isn't easy uh, I know the staff uh brought in a bunch of Juco guys they liked last recruiting cycle and were able to redshirt them um and are bringing back Nelson Caesar who was one of really maybe the only pretty good defensive recruit from major Applewhite's uh, unfortunate two-year stint at the University of Houston. Uh, was was technically part of a Holgerson class, but uh, Holgerson was able to hold on to him uh, from a recruit by the previous staff. So Nelson Caesar, I think uh, a lot of Cougar fans are optimistic about, as well as guys like, I think, Zy Strong, chief among them, one of the junior college guys who redshirted last year. I know Cougar fans are especially high on Brian Early, who's been the Cougar defensive line coach, uh, Dane Holgerson's entire time here at done a pretty good job prior to that at Arkansas state developing, you know, unheralded guys into good pass rushers and has done very well here developing defensive linemen. I think any, I guess uh, low morale about the program from the Cougar fan base doesn't extend early. I, I know the best news the Cougars got this off season was uh, there had been some rumor that Brian early was uh, going to take the same job at Colorado. He ended up, for whatever reason, staying with the Cougars. I know there's a big sigh of relief there. So obviously not going to easily replace a guy like Parrish. Like you said, high motor was really, I think frustrating because it really looked like in his final college season was putting it all together. A guy who played a bunch of different places, but never really specialized in anything and just was finally seeming to come into his own as a pass rusher. So he's going to be missed, but I think there is a lot of trust that Brian Early can find good, effective pass rushing defensive linemen from the guys in this roster. Now staying kind of on the defensive side of the ball with kind of all of those moving pieces up front for sure. How is y'all's back end, your secondary, your linebacker group, how are those, those particular positions taking shape uh, that you guys have seen this spring? Yeah, and that was one of the most disappointing things about last year. And really the the shocking thing about the uh, the Tech game specifically is that, that the Cougar defense, even though just had some just catastrophic failures, was actually was the only thing keeping that team in the game for a decent chunk of it, but really fell off after that. Some of that also is the pass rush, just not getting home as much. You really, you don't want to pin it on one unit because when a defense is as bad as U of H's was for the back two thirds, three quarters of uh, last season, but the secondary was, was especially poor. You are losing Javarius Owens, who is a, uh, a day three pick by the New York Giants, who was a four-year starter, a, a guy who I don't think should take too much blame for the struggles of the Cougars defensive back end last year. But there's, it's one of those situations where a lot of guys are, are, are leaving. And other than Gervarius Owens, I don't know if the Cougar fan base will be upset that a lot of those guys aren't there. I think this is one of those situations where you want to see what someone else does here. You've, you've seen what this group of guys can do. And I, I think some of the names are pretty intriguing. Adari Halsey was a Houston area kid was not a big recruit at all and just had a monster freshman year at New Mexico transfers up to the Cougs. Um, I expect he'll be one of the starting safeties, um, uh, a FCS cornerback 
uh, Isaiah Hamilton, who's intriguing, but obviously that's a massive step up from going to going to FCS to the Big 12. So that's a little concerning. Malik Fleming, who was an all-conference uh, cornerback at ECU, uh, going with the Cougars from the American to the Big 12. And uh, Brian George, also a, uh, a guy who was a rotation DB at Texas A&M, who's going to the Cougars, I, I think, with a lot better chance of uh, having a starting role. So a lot of new faces, and I think a lot of new faces – for good reason. And, you know, two seasons ago, Doug Belk, the defensive coordinator, was definitely overseeing a really good backfield that included uh, Demarion Williams, who was drafted uh, by the Baltimore Ravens, and obviously Marcus Jones, who had a fantastic rookie season uh, more recently for the New England Patriots. So losing those two guys obviously was a big problem a year ago. I, I think, I don't think there's a Marcus Jones on this roster because Marcus Jones was a special football player, but I feel a little bit better about the secondary than last year's, which isn't to say that I think this will be a above average, or I'm not even 100% sure an average uh, Big 12 pass defense, but I, I think it was a, a case where fresh blood was very much needed. And, and another guy, Donovan Mutant, a linebacker, who had a great career and just had a kind of not typical senior season, you're going to have to replace him like Javarius Owens, a four-year starter. So I think some new faces, definitely some question marks as a result of those new faces, but I think a group that also needed fresh blood and I think got some fresh blood uh, in the offseason. I, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of collapses being, you know, a Tech fan. I've seen some really historically awful defense, and, and including, you know, the Mahomes era, which were two of the worst defenses in the history of college football. They were just pathetically bad. I, I Even I was shocked by how many times U of H had someone score with about 35 seconds in the fourth quarter. I mean, that that had to hurt. 2022 is a painful season just because of how some of the losses happened, but I don't know if there's a more painful one than than how the Tech game went. Just because I'm not saying UH, you know, it's one of those where it looked like UH was going to steal the game, so I can't look back and I'm like, oh, well, we just so badly outplayed Tech and deserved to win. It wasn't that kind of situation per se, but just that fourth and, fourth and super long and having defensive backs play I think it was like a fourth and twenty, and having defensive backs play twenty-five yards off yards off the receiver was just, I, I think, one of the most <laughs> aggravating things from a season that uh, was not short on aggravating things. I know that expectations are now pretty pretty much drastically different. Switching conferences, the step up in competition, looking at the, the schedule, it's not the most difficult schedule in the Big 12, I don't believe, but it is not particularly easy by any stretch. You have Texas, you gotta go, uh, you have Texas coming in, who is presumed, as we kind of presume every year, to be really good. TCU coming on their national title will come in. You have to go to Tech. Um, a fun one to travel to is, to, you know, obviously coming to UCF is always a tough place to play. The non-conference slate, not particularly daunting, though UTSA is a scrappy program, could be up for a show. Let's talk about just high level first and foremost. What record here satisfies Cougar fans where they can say, you know what, Coach Holgerson did what he had to do. We're not looking to make changes. We're not putting, you know, kind of a fire underneath the sea. We're happy with the first year. Let's see how things go years two and three of the Big 12. Uh, well, we have a lot of idiots in our fan base, so for some of them it might be like, I think I – I think I tweeted something to the effect of, yeah, like if this team wins six or seven games, um, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty solid season. Someone said I was selling for mediocrity, and it's just like, buddy, I don't think you realize uh, <laughs> realize the step up that's coming for this program. But I would say anyone reasonably minded it would be six and six, and I would say it with the caveat that 
you know, this team goes six and six, and most of the six losses are U of H just getting their butts kicked, and you need to kind of a, a few lucky bounces. If, if this season ends and the I think the peripherals say that this team was lucky to go six and six. I don't know. I'm not really thrilled about that, but I, I think six and six in a bowl game in the first year with, like you said, not the most difficult schedule by any stretch, but also not the easiest by any stretch. I, I think that feels good, especially with so many new faces on the roster. I, I think just six and six and bowl eligible. I know the portal and the fact that U of H is located in a place where you're going to be getting a lot of guys who potentially, you know, going to their second division on program and may have originally played high school ball somewhere in the greater Houston area, which is one of, I, I think the recruiting benefits this program has, uh, I think that maybe shortens your window for a transition up to a tougher football conference. But I, I think for this coming year, six and six, and you're at least somewhat competitive and uh, a good number of those six losses. So if you're playing, you know, the what if game, devil's advocate kind of deal what's the worst of the worst that you get you could see um the cougars pulling off or what's the best that you could actually see them winning this year is the six and the six the best they're going to do or are you probably sitting at a seven and seven and five eight and four kind of deal you know the ball swings a certain way for you guys yeah it's kind of, it's kind of a bell curve i don't think the extreme ends of this is are each especially likely but no i don't i don't think that six and six is this team's absolute theoretical max i think there's some scenarios where they just they hit on every transfer in the defensive side of the ball. Doug Belk does does a lot of the things he did in terms of calling games that made this defense really good two seasons ago. Diamond Smith turns out to be a perfect fit, and the offensive line really just gels with the new kind of more, I guess, run-focused offensive line coach and Iman Nagavi. That that maybe gets this team to eight wins, and I don't know, maybe that some something in there happens with where the schedule's not as tough as we're thinking it'll be right now just some of the teams end up being disappointing etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think i think eight wins maybe nine with the bowls kind of your far end of the you know somewhat maybe realistic end and then i think on the opposite end i, I absolutely think this team could go three and nine i don't think that's especially likely but let's just say donovan smith isn't as good of a fit or donovan smith and or lucas coley get hurt the defense is just as bad as last year and gets exposed by an even more difficult schedule and just the vibes are already not great around the program. I could see three and nine. I don't think it's even close to the most likely outcome, just like I don't think eight and four, nine and four is close to the most likely outcome, but I absolutely think anywhere from like three to nine wins is possible with this team. Just, I mean, so many new faces, you're going to have that kind of volatility, I think. Looking at the schedule, I like to divide, you know, your non-conference for for the newcomers coming in versus the Big 12 slate. Looking at the non-conference, Sam Houston State, UTSA, Rice, the expectation would probably be 3-0. and And worst case scenario, assuming either Rice takes a another kind of massive step forward or UTSA is able to sustain, they've suffered quite a few losses in their own point and are as competitive again. But the assumption would be 3-0 and through those games and feeling pretty good. Your first 
true road test in the Big 12 that would be brand new to U of H fans, most of them anyways, for a very long time, would be heading toward to the Little Apple in Manhattan. Let's talk about the away games that are coming up. You got Kansas State and Baylor. Those two are kind of the quote-unquote fresh away games. You've been to Lubbock. Um, you have most of these teams coming to you actually getting West Virginia, Texas, and Oklahoma State at home and TCU. It's pretty great. It's a pretty great break in terms of how the schedule played out, but you do have to go to the Little Apple and you do have to go to uh, McClellan Carter, how are you feeling about those two road games in particular? Which one are you looking forward to more to see? Uh, which which one do you think is going to be a tougher place for U of H to adjust to play in? I'll kind of answer in reverse order. I think K-State's going to be a lot tougher. That's not, I guess, intended to be a slight uh, at Baylor per se, but I, I think that was just a much better team last year, and a much better team. I know you like Deuce Howard isn't easily replaced. Um, the really good defensive lineman Felix. Uh, I'm blanking on his last name. That's not a guy who's easily replaced, but that's also a development program. That's also a program that has guys that stay for you know three to five years and maybe aren't on your radar that first three years, but by the time they leave, are uh, pretty bona fide NFL players. And just what they do, they don't beat themselves. And I think that was something certainly last year left the taste in my mouth of a team that wasn't especially disciplined. A team that would beat itself the kind of team that would go into the environment uh, of the little apple and I think have a tough time dealing with it, which isn't, isn't to say I think that this team's going to have an easy time against Baylor, but I, I don't think I'm saying anything, especially controversial that Kansas state was, I think a good bit better than Baylor for the balance of last season. That being said, I would say I'm more excited for the Baylor one just, just because it's, it's a return of a game other than really you guys and then maybe like 20 years ago, the Longhorns, we really just haven't seen a whole lot of the former Southwest Conference school. So it'll be a game against an opponent that a lot of U of H fans have an opinion on and it's not a positive opinion on. And you know, there's a good chance that if you're a Cougar fan, you either have a friend or a family member or someone you know that, that went to Baylor. And it's kind of a resumption of the kind of games that we were really looking for as a fan base. You know, bless... East Carolina and South Florida and all them. If you're a U of H fan, grad, whatever, you probably don't know anyone who went to that school. And I think that's what I'm really excited about in terms of, you know, playing Baylor again, playing the horns for one more year, playing TCU and just playing a more regionally appropriate schedule. So I think K-State's going to be the much tougher game to play, but I think Baylor's the one I'm most looking forward to out of those two. And just, I think there'll be a good number of Cougar fans that, make the trip to uh, McLean Stadium uh, for the first game against those two teams. With that schedule and things like that, is there one that particularly um, circle you guys that has been minus as because I kind of feel like that top of the conference rivalry is going to kind of continue to mold as as the long and then he with some of these um, other teams that are in that you guys aren't necessarily playing this, this like BYU and things like that. Um, is there a team or a, like a game I said um, that you guys are really looking forward to this upcoming year uh, first in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously acknowledging the top that the, the, the game against UT because I feel very confident that that will be the last time that in my – and I don't expect to be not on this earth anytime soon, but I feel like that will be my the last time uh, – on this earth that I will see the Cougars and Longhorns play each other for well, certainly the last time they would ever deign to go to Houston's on-campus stadium to play the Cougars. So acknowledging that one at the top, I would say 
just but maybe just for this coming season, I, I think the opener against TCU is really exciting because they're they're a really buzzy program uh, right now. And do they sustain it? I think obviously open question going to next season, the following ones, but that's going to be the big 12 opener. This moment that Cougar fans of my age and any age before and after have been waiting for, for many, many years in some cases before they've been alive and that it's coming against an in-state opponent that I think checks the box and an opponent that had a really good season last year. That was as bad as it went for them. All jokes aside was playing for, the sports title, uh, you know, nine months before this game. So I, I think, I think that's going to be one that's really, really exciting for this fan base. I don't live especially close to Houston anymore, but that is, that is what I'm flying in for and using my season ticket to see. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be a better crowd than, uh, than the opener against UTSA with all respect to the Roadrunners, will be a tough opponent in week one, but I think that TCU game is going to be exciting. And I'm just, I think, generally excited to see because I feel like these rivalries kind of develop organically. They develop from a specifically contentious game or something that came out of it. So I'm excited to see whether it's football or basketball, what game kind of organically develops into a rivalry between the Cougs and someone else in this conference. The game that, you know, is going to be an interesting one just because of the storylines in it is West Virginia coming to town. The reason being is Dana Holgerson's end at West Virginia was not particularly nice. Um, I think both sides in that equation felt fairly wrong. There were rumblings for years that the West Virginia administration really didn't like Dana, and that kind of contributed to why he got the boot, despite the success he had there. And obviously, Dana probably can't feel particularly pleasant about being fired from a program he effectively built into what it became. Let's talk about that game in particular. Dana's not, on, on the quote-unquote, on a hot seat, per se. One, because of the contract he has. But two, it is still very early in his tenure. Coach Brown is, for West Virginia. That That is a game in which a lot of West Virginia fans will be looking at as a reason to fire him. They, a lot of them wanted him gone last year. Expectation, let's look at that one under a microscope, which we won't do really for many of these others because it's so early from the year. But that one in particular, how are you feeling playing a team that has really, really struggled lately? West Virginia has been in a world of hurt the last few years. How are you feeling about that matchup? Do you think you can take the Mountaineers? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think it's a given, though. I don't think it's a, oh, U of H should win this one by several scores kind of game. I just don't think those games exist in the Big 12 slate for the Cougars unless someone's just dramatically worse than we expect right now. An interesting storyline to that, too, the Cougars have a uh, couple former Mountaineers that I expect to play some decent-sized role in the offense this year. Tony Mathis, uh, who I think was their leading running back uh, this past season, uh, transferred to the Cougars, bolstered a uh, running back group that it was hurting with the loss of Alton McCaskill to Colorado and, and Michael Laughlin, who um, hasn't really been able to stay healthy for the Mountaineers uh, the last couple seasons, but a, a guy who I think was valued one for the fact that the Cougars didn't have a lot of experience in the tight end group with Christian Trey and graduating to just, uh, I, I think the leadership and familiarity with, uh, with this coach. That's kind of an interesting thing there. I know Mathis didn't play for Holgerson but was both very much recruited by the Holgerson staff. I believe his lead recruiter was in fact uh current Cougar defensive coordinator Doug Belk, who was a DB's coach for the Mountaineers. That'll be a fun storyline to watch, along with the Dana facing his former school and all that stuff. But it's not to say I feel I'm wildly confident about any game on the schedule, but if I had to give kind of a confidence score for all nine Big 12 games this year, I would say West Virginia is probably at the top there. It's going to be a Thursday night game, so 
make it a good crowd uh, for that one in Houston. I've been to a number of uh, pretty good atmospheres at TDCU for weeknight games, but I don't know if the beginning of the season goes bad. It also might just be a completely dead Thursday night atmosphere and 19,000 butts and seats to watch a, you know, one and four U of H team versus a one and four West Virginia team. So all possibilities there, but I think it's one of the games that's most intriguing uh, on the big 12 schedule for me and Cougar fandom generally. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's any number of reasons to look at U of H and wonder how they're going to perform under the new slate. There's a lot for Dana Holgerson to prove. He is very familiar with everybody. You know, I did see some of that in the games I've watched where he coached against Tech, where there is a heightened level of familiarity. Um, there's, there's a feeling with him coaching that he knows how to attack these defenses better than other people do. Because it is a unique form of defense that's developed in the Big 12. You know, for years, the conference struggled mightily to contain these offenses in recent years it just hasn't been the case there has not been very many just truly absurd offensive productions partially because quarterback play I think the last two three years has been I'm, I'm just going to say it's been dog shit terrible in the conference. I mean, everybody's had issues from teams like 5 through 10. They've just not been good at the quarterback position, which has hurt. But the defenses are starting to learn, and Holgerson, you can see some of that. When teams come to play the Big 12 now out of conference, they struggle because the Big 12 has become a, a, a defensive opportunity system, and Dana's had a, a lot of success attacking that. That is an advantage he has over the three other newcomers. You know, Gus Malzahn at UCF, a lot of experience. Cincinnati's played a lot of great teams. BYU is very used to beating the crap out of the Pac-12. So let's talk about one thing that I'm really interested about. All four of these teams coming in at once. U of H, funnily enough, will play two of them. I think that's a funny scheduling quirk. I wonder if they're going to get kind of paired up with some of their old friends, which I don't think anybody really wanted to see happen. But, nope. you know, it just kind of is. Uh, so let's talk about it. From your perspective, sitting looking at these, you're familiar with two out of the four. BYU, we're all kind of familiar with because they've been playing at this weird independent play anybody schedule, but of the four, who do you think is the best position in year one and who is clearly the worst off in year one of the big 12? So if they hadn't made the coaching change, I would have answered this one pretty quickly Cincinnati because Luke fickle was really, really building machine there. And, and I think, I don't know, just didn't got a good opportunity at Wisconsin. And I don't know if maybe, maybe saw himself recruiting and staying there long-term a team in the big 12 footprint. But so I would, Adjust that too for the coming year, and I don't know if this is a long term thing. It could be for a long term thing, but UCF, even though I think John Rice Plumley, I think the lack of or the time between the season and now is when people forget what an absolutely terrible passer he was. But there were times that offense was very effective. He's a runner, and we had on recently our UCF friends, the Sons of UCF, who did point out that this past season was the first time in like three years that he had been a dedicated full time quarterback. His old Miss had him playing as a receiver and a gadget guy. So I, I think just because the talent they brought in the portal, the talent they brought in from high school recruiting and just the amount they have returning versus the other three newcomers, including U of H, I would say UCF in year one. And I don't say this next one with as much confidence to say UCF for the best one, but I think Cincinnati, just because they have the biggest change, uh, the losing Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. I, I, I think there's an argument to be made for Scott Satterfield that that Louisville was just a bad fit and that he probably did a little bit better at Louisville than maybe given credit for. And just, it just was a bad fit there from the start. Probably should have stayed at app until he got an opportunity in the Carolinas. So still not sure about, again, his ability to effectively recruit that footprint, a footprint that has lots of good high school talent. And you can also get guys on the, the back end from the portal 
as well. But I think just given the volume of changes there, that new head coach and a pretty new looking roster, I think Cincinnati's got the hardest time out of the blocks, but I have less confidence in that than uh, UCF. With kind of um, the changing of the guard, I mean, you guys going from a little conference up into the Big 12, uh, with NIL being such heavily involved in a lot of everything that's going on, football players and all through the university, what has um, the University of Houston done to kind of elevate their NIL um, to, you know, come to something par of what some of these other Big 12 schools are putting out there? Yeah, and that's one of the areas I think this program has been kind of lagging uh, compared to both, you know, the conference at large and also I would say the four newcomers as well. UCF was certainly, I think, hitting the ground running fairly well there, at least compared to U of H. So it's gotten better, um, but I don't know if it's still the level of organized NIL operation that U of H will eventually need and could eventually get to. We're still talking about a fairly young, I guess, operation. And I think that's something Cougar fans don't realize is that there is an NIL gap between what the Cougars have going on and what your median power five conference uh, program is doing. So some cool stuff situationally, uh, star pizza, great Houston area pizza place. One, one they made a high priority to go back to my recent trip to Houston uh, does a lot of stuff with the defensive linemen there. They go by uh, the sack Avenue is kind of their thing. Um, the offensive linemen are doing anything with the turf company. So I think the various people around UH fandom are starting to figure out whether large or small, like, Hey, this is something we need to really focus on for the long-term sustainability of this program. But I would still say what U of H has going on in AL wise is still behind maybe uh, what it eventually needs to be, uh, to be an effective program going into a much tougher league. We're coming towards the end here. One or two last questions for you. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah of course. For, for the record, Star Pizza rules. If you're ever in Houston, for those of you now who are going to be making the trek in, theoretically, in a few years, I don't know how they're going to end up doing this, but I feel like we'll end up paired with U of H fairly often. So you do do stop there. It's a great pizza joint. Um, there's a couple locations, really fun place, not terribly expensive, and it's really good pizza. Um, so highly recommend it. But my kind of looking at... You know, I really like to talk about expectations, but one of the things I like to look at when I t- when I'm talking about the newcomers coming in is even outside of, you know, looking at year one expectations, I like to get a pulse for how the fan base feels about the, their actual place in the Big Twelve hierarchy long term, where they think they can get. So, you know, let, let's let's play let's play a little future forecast and just get a feel for how people are thinking. Um, what what would you say the average U of H fan you know kind of expects? Texas and Oklahoma are heading out the door. There's going to be a power vacuum at the top. We all know it. OU's hold held that spot for 15 years. Texas has sucked for the last 10, but before that, that was them. And those two have been kind of the top dogs recruiting, the money, the brand, everything. So there is now a vacuum at the top. Where does U of H anticipate its place to actually be in this conference? And maybe another way to phrase this is what could, what would they be satisfied with where they're not looking to fire coaches? You know, I think um, I would say contending or being around the big 12, I guess, title picture once per cycle. So, we're talking like once every four to five years and have the floor still be bowl eligibility more years than not. I think that's the hope here. I'm sure there's U of H fans out there who think in five years, this team will be regulars in Arlington for the big 12 championship. But I don't think that's a majority view. And I certainly don't think that's a realistic 
point of view. I, I just like would like to see every four or five years, not even U of H win the thing, but to be going into November and me being kind of aware of like the title implications, like, oh, we need Oklahoma State to lose. Like that's that's a blast, really regardless of sport, is to actually feel like you're kind of in the hunt for a conference regular season championship. And I would just I would like to make a trip to Arlington for a Big 12 championship game by the year 2030, or I guess wherever they're holding it by 2030, if it is not at the Cowboys stadium. So I think that's the realistic expectation. Periodically be around the conference title, and then even in years you're not, not just be dog shit bad. Yeah, we, we all know the, the power support for U of H right now is basketball. We didn't talk about that. We will likely have uh, Sam, if he's available, back on to talk about the basketball season upcoming. We're keeping this football specific. But I, I think, you know, I, I know some U of H fans, and I feel like most people are kind of in that camp. You're not – nobody, I think, of the four, really no one in the conference should really expect to be winning it all the time. Nobody's done it, right? You know, OU's just dominated this league for so long that it, it's hard to be like, well, Kansas State's just going to take over. Well, probably not, right, you know? The Wildcats did it more than others, but they were kind of a fluky win this past season. Not that TCU's entire season wasn't kind of fluky. So it nobody's that well positioned. I think of all the four newcomers, they, the expectation from where I'm looking at is if you're not in the hunt every five years, something's wrong. You know, Tech hasn't been in the hunt for a long time, and we've cycled through several coaches, right? Like that, And that's with OU sitting at the top, just holding everybody down. Now the Sooners are gone. So that, I think, is as reasonable as anybody can expect for the entire conference. I don't anticipate we're going to see an OU-like dominance or KU basketball-like dominance over the over this league anymore. It's just too hard, and there's there's just nobody with the clear advantage. Um, we're going to bring this to a close looking – I said we wouldn't do this, but I do think it's kind of funny to do this anyways. We had the Tech U of H matchup. Let's give an early feel. You have to go to Lubbock, which is not the most friendly place to play. This season for Tech could be going one of two ways. Tech could be right and high, knocked off Oregon, or strongly competitive against Oregon, You know, took care of business against who they're expected to, and in a really good position. Alternatively, the expectations we all had this offseason could have already sunk into the ground. So, you know, it could be a really, really raucous environment of a really highly rated top 15, top 10 Texas Tech team, or a Tech team that's really underachieving. It will not go any other way. There's no way we ride a fine line as a Red Raider fan. I've known this program too long to say like, ah, oh, we're going to be like, you know, seven and five. We're going to, we're either going to be 11 and one, or we're going to be four and eight. Like that, that's just what's going to happen. So let's talk about it. You're coming into that game. How are you feeling with that matchup? And let's take a way too early score prediction. What's, what's your gut feeling about that game? I mean, I just, I can't imagine how anyone who's taken in the Texas Tech UFH matchups since 2017 and be a U of H fan and be like, yeah, no, I feel like this is, I feel like this is the time that uh, the football doesn't get pulled away from us when we kick it. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 I feel like as somebody who is a much younger man uh, in the crowd for the 2009 game at the old Robertson stadium, I almost feel like we wished upon a cursed monkey's paw for an unbelievable, just memorable kind of tell our grandkids kind of win uh, and traded it for every matchup subsequently against Texas tech, just being, some degree of kick to the stomach, just the way last year's game went. The, I would say it was certainly wasn't as close two years ago, but just the absolutely deflating way that game kind of started out a season that had a lot of expectations ended up going fairly well, but it was a game that took many, many, many weeks of football to kind of wash out your mouth. I personally trekked up from the Austin area where I was living in at the time to uh, Lubbock for the 2018 game. And the less said about that, 
one the better. I think Alan Bowman threw for approximately 14,000 yards. I don't know, a little, little off on the number there. So hard to be optimistic, even with a Cougar team that has a lot of unknowns. And with those unknowns, you could be better than expected. But I, I, just have, I have a hard time seeing it being a blowout in either direction. But I also have a hard time seeing it being anything other than a Cougar loss, just given how the last six years of uh, most years playing have gone. So I'm going to I'm going to say it's going to be like a 33-24 tech win. That's, I think, fairly close going into the final quarter. But uh, Red Raiders ultimately take it in Lubbock. Yeah, I was there a couple of years ago in NRG. I was there for that game. I covered that for Viva and was up at the press box watching that. And and then this previous season, it, it feels like a pretty good encapsulation of how this went. I think in both games, it was clear U of H is behind in terms of roster construction. But I also think that it is, it is abundantly clear that Dana knows what he's doing and it, whether or not he's going to be able to recruit and have the time he needs to actually flip the program remains to be seen. He hasn't had maybe the success I thought he was going to have. Not that he's been bad. But I think it, those games are a good encapsulation of how the rivalry will likely play out most of the time. It's going to just be a hotly contested game. You know, the, the staffs are familiar with each other. The programs are familiar with each other. It's hard to imagine U of H coming in and just getting the crap kicked out of it. Alternatively, it's hard to imagine that happening most years, even when the programs are, you know, Tech is about to graduate a lot of people this coming season. I think the year after this will be a true rebuild for the Red Raiders. Will they wait for McGuire's classes to filter? It just doesn't feel like there's going to be a year where these programs catch each other napping. But that's an exciting one to look forward to. Like I said, it could be any anywhere from a fantastic, one of the best crowds in a long time this season. Could have some of the best crowds Tech has seen in years. Or it can be a completely disappointing failure of a year. And you could see I my dad was a Tech fan during some of the uh, – some of the worst seasons of tech football. And he said it was him, his buddy and nobody else. So that, that you could see some of that if the wheels really slide off by the time we get to that game, we will see, but thank you again to Sam for, for the record guy. Just once again, Sam was joining us from Scott and Hallman podcast. Those guys are on Twitter at just search the name. You'll find them. I believe they're on Apple, Spotify, the usual podcasting sites. Listen in. I listen to those guys when the U of H games creep around really insightful. They do great work and they publish really regularly. So you get a lot of content and you know, if you're looking, how, how do I learn about these new teams these podcasts are the best way to do it guys there there are paid sites kook fans is a great website for u of h if you're more of a forum guy but it the, the podcasts that cover these teams always are, are the best resources for them and the, the scott and holman podcast are it's a great group of guys doing that so give like scribe follow whatever the hell it is you do on the podcasting website of your choice to listen into those guys um thank you sam for being here with us i'll give you the last words and we'll close out I was going to say, thanks, fellas. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at SHPAWDCast, SH Podcast. We are most active there. And like uh, like my good friend here said, we are on Apple, Spotify, uh, anywhere else you get podcasts. Tune in because we'll definitely be talking uh, Cougars and Red Raiders a fair amount uh, between now and when our two schools play in football. Thanks again to Sam. We'll be trying to get everybody on. We're going to start reaching out to the various sources, trying to find the best podcast. We really want to give you guys the best insight into these newcomers, even though we all know U of H very well. I don't know shit about UCF or Cincinnati or BYU, so it'll be a fun adventure with, that you guys will take with us, and I'm sure you will hear from these guys again to come basketball season and down the line. Thanks again to Sam. Follow us on Twitter. See, uh, uh, the Cotton Club crew. You can also find the podcast anywhere podcasts are hosted and follow the Fans First Sports Network for a whole host of these podcasts for the NFL, MLB, NHL, whatever you want to find, there's likely a podcast on the network for it. So thanks again. Wreck'em, guys. We will be talking again very soon.